and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. And today on the podcast, we have we have a unique podcast. We're in unique times right now, and uh, and so this is one that I've this is one that I've wa- actually wanted to do for a long time. And I've told our guests that you need to come on my podcast because I just want to sit down with you and talk and hear your stories. And that's what we're doing today. Um, we're this uh, our guest today is not a, a musician by trade. He doesn't tour or anything. He did have a band uh, a long time ago. Uh, but uh, that's not what he's most known for and uh, and not what he does today. But we're bringing him in and we're going to have a, a lot of stories. My guest is um, one of uh, one of my coworkers and he's a friend and uh, and his name is Sean Galvin. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you why we're bringing him on. He used to uh, co-own a club called the Cactus Club in San Jose uh, back in the 80s and 90s. And... Uh, and had so many legendary bands uh, play there. Bands before they were legendary, before they were anything. And we'll get to that. I don't even want to spoil who's played at the, the club. But there's a documentary called Rock the Block. So I've talked a lot up front here, but I want to get your thoughts, Jens, uh, before, you know. We'll, we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. Let's save it. I'm just so excited. Uh, to, to, to bring <laughs> I can hear the excitement in your voice, Steve, and there's so many things I wanted you to say, but I didn't want to interrupt you, you know, but yeah, I mean, you know, I watched that, 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 that thing, you want to tell folks where that's available? It's available on YouTube. Just search Cactus Club San Jose, and it'll be the first thing that comes up, along with a bunch of videos from uh, bands that have been, uh, legendary bands that have played there, uh, but... Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. For so for anyone who's listening, I mean, take a good, take a good listen to this thing. You know, watch it. It's well put together, and there's some fucking awesome stories. Yeah, and we're gonna hear a lot. You know, in the in the pod with Sean today, I can't wait to to break it open. So, before- oh, I know, totally, totally. And I always thought San Jose was the most boring place <laughs> on the planet. You know, but there was this small brief of time where it was really exciting and unfortunately that was before i moved to california uh, specifically to the bay area so i i missed all of that but damn it yeah yeah and, and unfortunately i never had a chance to go to any shows at the cactus club uh you know when i started going to concerts and stuff i did go to uh some shows at the competitor uh that ended up popping up which you'll hear about later in the pot in the uh um documentary um the edge nightclub i went to some shows there while that was a thing but Never was able to get to Cactus Club, so I'm interested in the stories. But Can't wait. Before we get to that, Jens, we had a little bit of an event this past weekend. As much of an event as you can have without actually being physically present with people, right? Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, this whole Zoom meeting thing has been crazy popular ever since we've had to physically distance ourselves from each other. Not socially isolate. I am going to make that a... Big, huge bullet point no. here. We're not socially distancing. We are physically distancing. Zoom, given all of its crazy problems, has provided so much fun and so much togetherness for people. Is that a word, togetherness? It is. You put this together, dude, and you did a great job. Well, well thank you. So to go back, this is something we started last year. Uh, people do a Friendsgiving and uh, and that's all well and good, but a lot of my friends are not available around the Thanksgiving time frame uh, due to duck hunting hobbies and uh, and such, and that doesn't work. And so we ended up doing it like five or five months later and call it a, a freester. So this was the second annual freester, and it had been in development 
before we started, before the coronavirus started, right, uh, becoming a big thing, and I had a big, you know, I have a turkey in my freezer ready uh, uh, for it, but um, but we, we we weren't able to get together, obviously. So I, I still wanted to get my friends together and uh, and just have a you know shoot the shit a little bit, get to uh, even if it's virtual, have a dinner together and uh, play some trivia games, apparently, and we also. Surprise my girlfriend. Um, and uh, you want to tell them a little bit about that? Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, before I get into that, I just want to, I just want to share a little bit. Um, being very humble here, I just want to uh, share with y'all uh, my level of stupidity. Um, <laughs> Freester. Yes. Is a word that comes from friends and Easter put together. Yes, that's true. It took me a while to figure that out. How long did it take you? Because uh, you were at one last year that called, I was called the same thing. Yes, and last year I knew exactly what it was, but I must have had like a brain aneurysm or something. I don't know. I, for whatever reason, this year around thought it was a combination of the words Friday and Easter with some sort of like, you know, Thanksgiving theme. Okay. And it's like on a Saturday, and I was so confused. Like, I don't understand why it's on a Saturday. It's like fucking Friday Easter. Okay. <laughs> it was. Uh, it, it, I just want to say that I did not show up early to the party. I did not show up 24 hours early to the party, but for whatever reason, I thought it was on a Sunday. So when you reached out to me, you know, about the party, I'm like, oh, fuck. It's Saturday. That's right. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. This created a lot of anxiety. Uh, a I, lot of preparatory anxiety. <laughs> but uh, you said. That um, part of this freestyle this year was going to be about surprising your girlfriend. And you did something amazing, absolutely amazing, Steve. And that was that you sent everybody that was going to be involved in the surprise balloons. I did, right? because I'm not able to balloons. see her. I haven't, I mean, I've seen her probably 90 minutes in the past two weeks, three weeks. I mean, we're not seeing much of each other. And it's and that 90 minutes was distance, right? So um, yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. we're not breaking it. And so her birthday was on Easter. And, uh, and she doesn't like shit. She doesn't like getting things. Uh, so she's not just difficult to shop for. She's impossible to shop for. I've met people like that. Yes, I have one of those. So <laughs> I married someone like that. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, we're all getting together for this. She's made it clear she's not going to come over and, uh, and we're not going to do this thing together. Uh, because we don't want to mix households and everything, and so she, but she will be there virtually. So I'm like, what can I do that's fun that she'll appreciate? And like you said, I sent uh, all of the guests the same 60 balloons uh, to to blow up and be on video. It now, now what you may not know is it didn't fully work out perfectly like like I anticipated because she signed into the session and didn't uh, wasn't connected to audio for the first oh three quarters of the singing of happy birthday and everything really? else yeah she she heard the the tail end of it she and, missed that and she just had the visual component oh, shit yeah and uh <laughs> but she she did appreciate the effort that went in and and I appreciate the effort on you and ev- all the other guests as well to you know, to put up with my nonsense and blow up some balloons and you even, pet- it, it, yeah. dude, it, it was fun times. I've got to say there was a significant amount of preparatory anxiety involved in it. I don't know if, you know, the others in the zoom, uh, uh, surprise party had the same kind of experience, but, um, here I am with all these balloons. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this outside yeah. and I'm going to hang the balloons. I don't have helium, but I'm going to kind of make them look like they're floating uh-huh. by just hanging them on the awning, right? I'll just make the awning go out and I'll hang them on the awning and I'll have them in the background. So they're kind of floating around my head. 
I had such a hard time blowing up these fucking balloons. Why is that? Well, I found my yoga pump, right? I've got this pump for these yoga balls. Okay, yep. Okay, okay. Let me back up. So my, my wife has a yoga ball. Oh, I've got okay. a physical therapy ball. Sure, yeah, okay? of course, yeah. I don't do yoga, no. but I do physical therapy every now and then. I got this ball for that purpose, and it has this really special pump that works great for balloons. These balloons have a breaking point that, uh, you know, is lower than I thought it would be. And I was blowing up these damn things outside, and you bought the balloons that were filled with glitter or whatever. It's these like confetti, are. and I didn't even so, know, like, because uh, I just looked at the picture, and I thought that was part of the balloon. Like, but, uh-huh. but you're you're right. Yes, they were. <laughs> they did have a lot of this confetti-ish glitter stuff inside and so you did have to be careful although i i mean i didn't have any issues blowing them up i didn't pop any while blowing them up but while deflating them uh like where i took a knife to the the nipple on it right and, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah, over the trash can and still my dining room and living room like goes everywhere yeah. yeah right so i had the same kind of problem i blew up a whole bunch just by complete accident because i maybe blew it up a little bit too much or when i was trying to tie it together you know maybe my fingernail hit it or something and boom it exploded all of this is happening right next to my ear right my ears are ringing i'm trying to get these things to blow up and i'm you know tying them everywhere <laughs> and then um and then i got it all like everything was good to go and everything went fine for the meeting yeah. uh, on my side and it was hilarious to see all these little you know square boxes on the zoom conference with everyone you've invited that have the same exact balloons in the background yeah, and Joe and Jackie's were decorated so nice. Like they, Joe had said uh, they probably wouldn't blow up many of the confetti ones because fuck that, right? But uh, uh-huh. uh, but they had it. Theirs was decorated so nice in strings right behind them and yeah, everything. Really like nice to see. it was it was good. So I appreciate everyone's level yeah. level of effort. It, it was really good. So I left I left the balloon. I didn't take them down afterwards. I just left it the next day. Uh-huh. And the next day was like this really beautiful day. I think it was like the second day maybe where it was nice and warm this year. And I was outside just, you know, gardening and stuff, and the fucking balloons started expanding because it was getting warmer and warmer. Okay. So they started popping like, boom, boom, boom. Dude, I was out there for yeah. 20 minutes with a handbag, <laughs> like, vacuuming <laughs> up all this shit on the deck and yeah. the plants and stuff. So I'll give, I'll, I'll match yours, and I'll tell you that the next morning, so next morning is Easter, right? Uh, and so I had, I woke up before five and I had to do double duty of finish. Easter bunnying it, uh, at, you know, and put eggs all around the property and, uh, you know, and, and the house to be a ninja like that and the bat, pull the baskets down and everything before my kids woke up. But then I also took, uh, this, uh, a dozen roses and, uh, letters that the kids and I wrote to Tracy and, uh, and I decided it was a great idea to make a string of balloons and just kind of have a string of balloons at her, her place and drop that outside, uh, her place before she, you know, woke up. So it would be there when she woke up and went outside or whatever, right? And yeah, yeah. so it's 6 a.m. when I get to her place, which is the tail end of my all, all my events. And and I'm back in the backyard. I put the roses on the on a t- uh, tr- table, little table outside, and the card right on it. And uh, and then like I'm like trying to undo the string of balloons, and then one pops, and then another pops, and it's 6 a.m. And, <laughs> and and so I'm like, oh shit! And I just drop the balloons, and I I hightail it back to my car, you know. <laughs> and, and crazy crazy yeah. yeah i ended up just putting 
just taking the, the rest of the balloons down, and I put them all in a big, huge garbage bag while they were inflated. Oh my gosh, that's and then, brilliant! And then closed the garbage bag and just popped them that way. That's, that's brilliant. That works. That, that, that'll do it. Uh, so I apologize for that because Tracy had to also clean up the <laughs> confetti. Yeah, it was, it was all good fun. You know, the yeah. fun is always in the unexpected stuff too. Yeah, yeah, but it was a fun party too. It was, uh, I mean, I think anyway, there were some stressors in terms of technical logistics and stuff and kids uh, like my kids were loud in the background after they got bored and you know and then i had put together you know some trivia but didn't realize only three parties could play at the same time and we had four plus one if i were to include my kids uh who wanted to play but i had to tell them no <laughs> because we only had three parties so um, yeah uh, some some details but it was it was i think it was you know a solid b level you know get get together and we'll when all this ends we'll have a freestir 2.5 and uh and right. do it really and bring, bring out the turkey i mean it's fun you know you're so limited when it comes to this whole stay-at-home quarantine thing right i mean yeah what do you do yeah. i'm glad there's zoom i'm glad there's you know free games to play online i'm glad people are at least somewhat technical you know technically savvy enough to get their stuff together on their end to make it all work yeah it was fun yeah it was, it was good so we'll do it again um i did have one other story before we bring in our guest and uh and i'll try and keep this one brief so we can have some time to chat with our guest and that was yesterday i was out on the porch with the kids they they also got birdhouses uh in their easter basket that they uh they painted and everything it was really really fun for them and uh, and so I was like slacking it, you know, putting cover over it outside on the porch. And then one of my neighbors in the front house, uh, like this kid, I think he's like 17 or something, but um, he's the grandson of the owner of the, of the property. He he comes up and he's like, "Do you know how to stop, you know, bathtub water from running? You know?" And uh, oh. yeah, and I'm like, "Well, I don't know your your house. I haven't been in the bathroom." In, you know, in that house or whatever, but what, uh, you know, and, uh, he's like, yeah, so it's filling up really. F- and, uh, can you, can you just come take help take a look? And so my mind's racing because we're in this quarantine type thing and I'm being very careful not to be in close quarters with people, but what am I going to say to some, yeah. to a kid that's home alone, you know, uh, I mean, and, uh, and needs help. Like, uh, he's, he's having trouble. There's his parents are obviously not there and, uh, and, uh-huh. and he needed, a hand so i i was like do i get a mask do i you know what do i and i just i was like okay and my daughter came with me uh which is good i'm glad she was there to help um uh, because the it, it was this pretty deep bathtub uh and it was just a tub not a shower attached or anything like that and uh and it was like two inches from the top and it just kept flowing and uh you know and so i'm like tr- cranking the nozzles and everything and either way to righty tighty lefty loosey like n- righty tighty seemed to make it go faster and so i'm like fuck you know so going the other way i um i tried calling the owner of the house he didn't answer i called the owner's son uh mm-hmm. you know i mean because i tried unplugging it from the bottom too and nothing and so i call the owner's son and he you know he's trying to talk me through it and like okay we're trying to turn off the water on the property that didn't I, I wasn't able to do that trying to find where to turn off the water to the house uh uh-huh. it wasn't in front of the house ended up being behind the house and so he was 10 minutes away he was driving over i i had gotten the the kid to get a bucket you know and start uh you know bailing water out of the the bathtub and then i had my daughter run into our house and get another bucket 
uh, a five gallon bucket f- uh, from our garage. And uh, I mean, we got it down low enough and like the, the, um, the son of the owner, like even when he got there, he was having trouble. He eventually was able to get the water turned off and they solved it. Wow. That's crazy. The yeah. bathtub didn't have its own drain. I, I, I couldn't get the plug off the drain and the, and the son, uh, the, the kid's dad, like, he pulled out a pocket knife to try and uncook, you know, screw it too. It's an old house, right? Like, these are all old houses. And, he yeah. like, his pocket knife broke trying to wedge the thing out, you know? <laughs> oh, so, so we're just like, fuck, you know? Like, it was a it was a pain in the ass and a story I thought would be... Would, that would, sucks, dude. Something, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, that water was intent on drowning at least one person. Yeah, and of course, immediately <laughs> afterwards, you know, I come home, I strip all my clothes, I take a shower, I tell my daughter, I was like, you know, I'm going to be in the shower for two minutes, like, you're up, you're up, you need a shower and take, you know, change all your clothes too, just because you got, God, we got to be freaking careful now, you know? Yeah, you really do. Yeah, yeah. you got to be crazy careful. Yeah, so. Uh, all right, that's... man. Yeah, well, let's, uh, that's a, some fun story, so let's go ahead and let's bring Sean in, and uh, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the Cactus Club, what do you think? Sounds good, let's do it. Welcome, Sean. How you doing today? Y'all quarantined? I'm doing well, man. Staying in place. In fact, this is how bad the quarantine's got. Just yesterday, I was talking to my refrigerator, figuring it was time to replace the cartridge for the water filter. And so I'm on my computer on this website trying to order a new cartridge. It's not working. So out of the blue, a spider drops down from the ceiling and says to me, Hey, man, I can help you. I'm a web designer. Yeah. <laughs> you get a good deal on that or Oh That's that's what isolation does to us, my friend. I know. It's, right? it's bad. Totally. So you really have to start thinking of creative ways to keep yourself entertained. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, so Sean. I mean, we both watched the uh, the documentary today. We we talked about it a little bit earlier in the pod. Of course, we're talking about Rock the Block, um, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna have you dig up some old stories from decades ago uh, on this pod. And you know, uh, I will have you know as well. This is uh, the first time we Facetimed with uh, a guest together. Uh, for the pod, and, but you're one that, you know, I, I even told you like a year ago, I need to ha- get you on the pod because you have so many stories that I'm really interested in. Right. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. so let's, let's start, uh, let's start from the beginning a little bit. Uh, yeah. you, you were born just, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll start from the beginning, right? Like I, I, I was starting to mention earlier, um, it was a dark and stormy night. Uh, we had just played at a small club called Spanky's in Sacramento, California. We being Grey um, Matter, right? Spanky's? Was that a strip club? Uh-huh. No, 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 no. It was just a regular uh, a hole-in-the-wall nightclub. It was about as small as as a 7-Eleven. Um, and it was just, it was really, really nothing at all. But um, Spanky's was up in, in, in Sacramento, California. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because when I was playing in a band and was about 19, 20 years old, we didn't have a lot of money and stuff. And, and most clubs that you played at, they paid you no money or they would even have you sell tickets. It was called pay to play. Yeah, you talk about, um, they talk about that in the and, doc. Yeah. What, yeah, is up, what is up with that business model, man? Well, no, I mean, no one's got money. I know. How'd you, how'd you like, how'd you like, 
Did you have odd jobs on the side to just rake in the dimes and nickels just so you could play? That's about it. Yeah, you had odd jobs on the side. Um, you know, I was delivering, uh, at one point I was delivering pharmaceutical drugs to old folks' homes. Legal or illegal? Uh, it was legal, working for oh. a, a small company. And part of my route was in Oakland, California. So at the middle of the night, I'm dropping off like morphine and other sort of stuff for the old folks, you know, mm -hmm. in, in downtown Oakland um, to, to, to sort of make enough money to be able to, um, you know, play in a band. And, and the most interesting thing about it, I've always been a super introvert, so I couldn't go out and sell tickets, nor did I want to sell tickets to my friends. So the little money I made, I used to take that money and buy tickets in order to meet the quota so our band can open up for all these cool uh, cool shows and stuff. And so back to the dark and stormy night, the other thing I did, too, to digress for just a moment, to make things work for me uh, as a drummer and a musician, I carried an old typewriter case. And in the typewriter case, I had one bottle of gin, okay. one bottle of rum, and one bottle of vodka. I then had some damn good um, sweet and sour, and we would go to 7-Eleven and buy big gulps, dump out the soda, except for just a little bit left, and then pour in the vodka, pour in the gin, and pour in the rum, and some and some uh, uh, sweet sweet and sour on it, and make my own Long Islands. Nice. Which I used, used to dub Sean Island Iced Teas. Ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> and so now as we move ahead, to that dark and stormy night, we had played Spankies and I was feeling cantankerous, so I set my drum set up backwards, so my back was to the crowd. We all got super drunk. We usually stay at a hotel, you know, a Motel 6, where we all pull our money together. And it was that night where I was talking to my our road manager, this, this kid I went to high school with, uh, named Mike Trippett, um, and he was drunk, and everybody was drunk. And I said, hey, man, we got to start putting on shows ourselves because this pay-to-play stuff is cricket. And that sort of started the seed, started the spark that turned into a flame where we started putting on some shows at various restaurants, right, because that's what people did back then, to the point where we said, hey, let's do it. Let's create our own club and give a scene where, A, it's really a nightclub, B, it's got a killer sound system, killer lights, and anywhere you stand in the club, you can see the band. Yeah. And right, that, started, right. that started the fire, right? So can you give us a little bit of context? Like, what year was this, and what kind of restaurants oh. were you playing at? Now, now you're asking me to tell you how old I am. <laughs> no, 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 I just want to know. I just want to know, like, how old I was while I was missing out on this. Yeah. Uh, you were probably, probably in diapers, man, but... I mean, this is a great, a great picture from back then. So I'll just, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll just say, yeah, it's pretty oh, that's awesome. Funny. So, so to answer that question, um, we were playing 84, 85, 86, probably around 86 or so. We, we started trying to put on some of our own shows. Um, and it's usually restaurants that at night they close down. And they have some entertainment to try to make some extra money. Or it's bars that didn't have many people show up where we would put on some shows uh, and it would help them sell drinks. Right? Yeah. 
but but even then that that really wasn't working right you know because horrible light system horrible sound system bands weren't making any money and stuff like that too and there was an iconic sort of restaurant called the laundry works that at night it turned into a club and if you went online and and i could probably show you there's some old clips of us playing live at the laundry works and it was probably the closest to the premier nightclub that you could find in downtown san jose uh where we did some super cool shows and then one day out of the blue it shut down right boom and that's when the fire started to really feel and, and Mike Mike Trippett and myself said, Hey look, we gotta do this. And we worked with this cat named Rick Hines and the three of us, because Rick Hines was a promoter, the three of us decided we were going to do it ourselves. Yeah. And and so that's the that's how the club was born. And it started as this uh, this club for, you know, local bands to be able to play because they didn't have anywhere to play, right? And Correct, right. We we were a band. Right, and we saw what other bands were going through. Right, everybody had to do the same thing. You had to pay to play. Very few clubs. A lot of times they were just restaurants at night, like the cabaret and some other stuff. And so we said, you know what? Come on, let's do it. Let's let's give a place for, for musicians to really showcase their talent. Because every band out there, whether it's you know. The Clash, whether it's Nirvana, whether it's Alanis Morissette, they all started in someone's garage, right? Just like Steve Jobs. Right. Right. Um, and I could tell you a fun story about, about Nirvana. Uh, oh, yeah, we'll yes. Sa- we'll save that for later. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so th- you mentioned the sound system and the lighting. Like, how important was that to you guys to get that right? Because that's one of the things that's called out in the documentary. And uh, and I want to pay note to a lot of the clubs didn't have that piece. And that wasn't, yeah. you know, that wasn't invested into, you know, like it was your club. Yeah. It, the aesthetics was everything. And, and here's why. We wanted a place that people could go to see good music and, and make it uh, of the highest quality. We wanted a place that a guy in a suit and a tie could sit next to a guy with a mohawk at the bar, and they, they're there for the common love for music. Yeah. And that's what we had, yeah. right? We had all walks of life coming into the Cactus Club. It was just a place for misfits, lawyers, uh, you know, teachers everybody to go to at night and let down their hair and just have a good time and absorb the 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 music right and and that's what i loved about the documentary you know it was like it didn't matter where you came from it didn't matter what your you know what your life was like outside of the cactus club everybody was coming in there for a common interest and they were bonded together because of that yeah yeah that was It, it It was real. It wasn't. It wasn't a facade. It wasn't um, what you see now. It's. It's not like staged, like like your Kim Kardashians and stuff. It was raw. It was real, and it was done by a bunch of kids that had no money. Yeah. Right. And so we had to get some investors, uh, and that's where our our, our friend Bob Cullen came in. He was a lawyer who had a love for music. And he was able to round up some investors so we can get enough money to actually make things happen. Yeah. So, so at what point did you guys uh, uh, expand beyond local bands and kind of uh, bring in, you know, touring acts? We did it from the beginning, right? The, the very first band 
to ever play our club was uh, the Dead Milkman. Okay. Nice. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah. Right? Bitching Camaro, bitching Camaro. Da 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 da. Um, you know, um, and if you wanted to, well, we'll save that for later, right? Because I still think there's some preludes to actually when the doors open, right? Okay. So, so I think you heard it. It's been a while since I've watched the documentary. It took me uh, it took me many years to watch it too, right? I had no interest in watching it, uh, and it was only about two to three years ago that I finally watched the documentary, right? So why is that? Um, you know, we had a we had a, a, a bit of a, a a bitter ending to to the club, right? Um, and I saw the the, the, the the music start to fade. Um, but but you know, I was also starting a new career. I, I had got married. Um, I was working as a photojournalist, and I, I needed to find a, a new career to uh, support my family. And so I, I moved out of that whole world and into this new world where there was kids and everything else like that. So I was trying to put that behind me. Yeah. And, and so you, you wanted to kind of expand a little bit more upon the opening. Like, tell me, yeah. tell me about how we got there. Yeah. So, uh, it, it was interesting. Um, where we ended up is not where we started. Right. Yeah. We, we wanted to, um, take over this, this sort of this restaurant, uh, outside of downtown just a little bit start a club but there was this thing you know we're just 20 something year old kids we're not into politics we're not into any of that stuff but at the time back in 1986 87 88 downtown sacramento was a place that people came to work in the day yeah but at night they split and all that remained was drug dealers hookers and everything wrong uh, with the nightlife right and so there was this, 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 this agency, the redevelopment agency that, who, who knows why, they had this, this, uh, um, they had this idea that coming in from the city council that they wanted to get things, they wanted to revitalize downtown Sacramento, uh, sorry, downtown San Jose. Yeah. And so they told us they would not support us in that location we wanted to move to and that they wanted us downtown with the hopes of helping to bring back the, the, you know, having people stay after, you know, five o'clock. And so lo and behold, we said, okay, you know, if that's all we got, we'll go wherever you want. And so they said, well, we really want you down on first and San Salvador. And what was down on first and San Salvador strip clubs, right? Yeah. That's the best place to be, right? <laughs> yeah. And so there was a strip club that had been shut down and they said, here, these folks will give you a long-term lease. Here's where you can build it. And here's where redevelopment will support you, right? And so that started it all. We had that, uh, that edict. Uh, Bob Cullen and Rick Hines, uh, with some of their business experience, helped us get some investors, which was a cat named Bob Roselli. Um, super rich guy, him and his buddies. And they were just simply looking for a place to uh, come and party, Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they invested some money in us. And so me and Mike and Mike's brother and a couple other people uh, completely gutted this strip club. Right. 
we were cutting out the fake walls, uh, the fake ceilings. There was an old walk-in refrigerator that we had to tear down. We found syringes, needles, Holy shit. Um, dildos, vibrators, <laughs> every, every sort of paraphernalia that you would find in the strip club, we found, and we had to discard. And so we would work all I'm sorry time. to interrupt, but you discarded it. You didn't create like a little museum in your garage or something. <laughs> <this history>. uh, <laughs> uh, we should have. But, but also at that time, as we're, you know, like I said, I still had that, uh, that, that typewriter case. Uh-huh, yeah, so uh, yeah. We, we would work all, all day. And then at night, there was a couple, there was this place called uh, Marsugi's, which was right two or three doors down which was this restaurant during the day, and they put on some shows at night. So we would go over to Marsugi's. We would see all the people that also came out to see some live bands. We would get super drunk, and then we would go back to the Cactus Club, which at this point was just walls and completely gutted, yeah. and finish drinking and then fall asleep and just sleep on the floor. And I remember waking up, you know, more often than not, to cockroaches crawling all over me because this is oh our, my uh, gosh. downtown downtown um, San Jose, right? Yeah. And we Those were the days. Cutting things up and stuff. And so that, that was our life for about six or seven months as we built this place, right? But we did it. We finally got everything together, right? And, and then in December of 19... I believe it was December of 1988? Yes, it was 88. It was December 8th, the day after my birthday, we opened up and the Dead Milkman played, if I remember correctly. They were either the first or second band to play. And there it started. That started the madness. Yeah. So. You said 1988. Yeah, 1988. Okay, that was the year I graduated from high school. Oh, okay. We won't we won't talk about how old I was. How so. old were you, Steve? Like, were you still negative in your years? At right, that time? right. Yeah, I'm a I'm a baby of the '90s. No, no, I was, I, I, I was five. Okay, so. You were five. And you were like, God, I want to go to San Jose and party. I know. I, I saw the you know the future, and it was yeah, it was Cactus Club. <laughs> talk about underage. <laughs> talk about underage, right? And that's one of the that's another big theme with this whole thing is underage, the underage thing. But, um, Sean, what the, the part of this that I'm missing is you started in Sacramento. How did you even get down to San Jose? How was the transition to San Jose? How did that happen? Yeah, so I didn't start in Sacramento. Um, goodness gracious. So uh, I, I guess I should digress on that. I was living in, where was I living? Um, I, I didn't get to Sacramento till much later. Now, we played as a band up in Sacramento. You know, we played shows all around uh, the Northern California area, San Francisco, um, San Jose, Sacramento. We just seemed to play a lot up in Sacramento. There was two clubs. There was a club that was actually a pretty cool place called the Club Cantel. Uh, and then there was Spanky's, which was super small. Um, and, and so where was I? I think you were telling us uh, before the show that you were in a van by down by the river. Yeah, I I, I lived in um, not down by the river. <laughs> down by the river. That's a, a Little James song. <laughs> I was born by the river. <laughs> yeah, um, I 
think I was living in Fremont, California, because that's where my mom lived and stuff like that too. Okay, right? so you you weren't too far from San Jose. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let's talk about some of the stories uh, now. I mean, because you have you have so many stories, and we can pull out some bands that uh, that you know are now world renowned, like the, the biggest bands in the world that played at the Cactus Club, right? Uh, yeah. uh, um, but but also I want to hear some stories that you know maybe were shared in the documentary, uh, but but I mean do, do you want to get to Nirvana first? Like we can we can start there, since you mentioned them. Well, it, it's interesting that you brought something up. Okay. And I don't know if I could share it just yet, but someday, my friend, um, I think it was Lon Simmons. That, no, Lon Simmons is the guy, the announcer for the A's. Lon something, the guy who did the documentary. Yeah, uh, it was. Um, why am I? Uh, hold on, I got it here somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure I wrote it down. I don't know. Anyway, carry on. Okay. Oh, Land Lopez. There you go. Oh, was L- it? Lopez. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Cool. So, I appreciate what he did. He sort of told the sort of fluffy story. Yeah. About about Cactus Club, and when I watched it, and I watched it with an old girlfriend. Uh, who who we went out, we were gr- girlfriend and boyfriend. I left her to start the Cactus Club. And to your point, she did live in Sacramento. Now she lives about two blocks from the, the Elk Grove site. But um, I, I left her for the Cactus Club, and she was crushed. But um, I, I always say, what you saw in that documentary was the generic uh, made-for-TV movie. Yeah. And some, someday I'm going to do a, uh, a, what is it called, VH1 Behind, Behind the, the Music? Scenes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The true story of the Cactus Club. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's what everyone wants to see. All the behind the scenes, like the, all the, you know, footage that was not appropriate for the, you know, real thing, the cut scenes, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we may have to save that for a part two of this podcast. Okay, okay. Um, right. Is that super confidential yeah. stuff, like JFK, you know, you can't yeah. know what happened unless everybody that's relevant has passed away? <laughs> it, it, it was it was absolutely sorted. I mean, from, from the debauchery to the, you know, the, the, the bands that we would have to... Uh, scold on a regular basis for the drugs they did. Um, it was the, the, the San Jose Police Department, right? Uh, um, the What is it, um, internal investigation officers that used to, to, to come in and, and speak to us about some things that certain San Jose police officers were doing. Um, it was about uh, some of the things my business partner did and so on and so on and so on. And that's just sort of the fluffy version of it. But I think Steve... The, 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 the real thing to talk about, though, is the music, okay. right? Because that's where the magic happened. Yeah. And you, you were asking about some of the bands that came through. Um, there's so many, it's hard to remember all of them. But we can talk about some of them if, if you want, and the ones that come to, 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 to mind. Sure. Okay. So where do you want to start? I have some names, you know. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so throw out some names, and we'll start with you, and then I'll, I'll see what I can pull out of the old uh, shack. So in every episode of the podcast, we generally always end with a, a story about Dave Grohl in some manner, because uh, that guy yeah. is such an awesome dude and such a badass, and, and I've been lucky to meet him twice. Uh, but, uh, but to, I mean, in that environment, to like 
have Nirvana there. I mean, that that's where my mind goes to to start, just because they're, I mean, so incredible and so legendary and fucking Dave Grohl. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Plus, so you being a drummer yourself, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Nirvana, you know, when you think of Nirvana, you, you would think, how can a band so big and famous play in a club so small, right? Because we're about a, a capacity of about two to 300 uh, depending on how many people we can squeeze in without the fire marshal showing up and, and kicking us down. But um, the reality was Nirvana wasn't even the headlining band. No. Right? Wow. This was at a time where they were still part of Sub Pop Records before they signed it to, to David Geffen. Hang on. It's my reminder to take off the take out the garbage can. <laughs> Here I am in one essence talking about the things I did as a 23-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's a different time now. Now as I'm a little older, the things I got to remember is I'll pick up the kids, take out the garbage. Right? I was hanging with Nirvana, uh, and then oh yeah, I got to take out the garbage. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how do I how do I prepare for the kids in school tomorrow? So here, here's the interesting part. It was it was pre David Geffen Records. Right? Mm-hmm. Nirvana was still you know just a small band on Sub Pop Records out of Seattle, and they weren't even the headlining band. They were the middle band opening up for a band called Tad. Okay. Right, and Tad rocked, but I remember right. Man, Kurt Cobain was a pain in the ass. Really? Okay. <laughs> right. Which now, now that I think about it, I get it. He was a rock star and had that rock star attitude before he was ever a rock star. Yeah. Right. So he was all 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 upset as to you know why we didn't pay him more and this and that and everything else. It's like hey. You know, you're 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 not the headlining band. You're playing uh, middle slot for Tad, and there's only about 120 people here. Can you imagine seeing Nirvana in their essence at a club that that holds about three to four hundred people? No, that's crazy. Right, that's with a, a killer sound system and a killer sound system. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, and so uh, so with. With Nirvana, I mean, did you have interactions with with Kurt? Did you have Did you talk to Dave? Uh, like, what what was your involvement uh, there? And, and from your memory of that show, I mean, you probably don't remember a lot because, like you said, they weren't huge. You just remember them being there. And it's hard to remember specifics because we did that every single night. Yeah. Right. Every Tuesday we had a DJ that was had a line around the block. Every Thursday we had disco night with a DJ. On Sundays, we had house music, but it was an every night thing. Now, I will say I was the one who sort of ran the nighttime operations. My business partner, uh, uh, Mike, did a lot of the booking. He's the one who booked all the bands and and took care of the stuff during the day. Um, I see you drinking a beer, and we used to have beer vendors come in every other day and lining up all these new beers they wanted us to sell, right? And and I'm not much of a beer drinker. I drove mostly hard hard liquor. Um, But, you know... It, it, it was just here. Here's the thing: it didn't matter if it was Nirvana, it didn't matter if it was Primus or Alanis Morissette or Killing Joke. They're just regular band members coming in to play a gig, right? Yeah. And they didn't, you know. I, I never looked at them as as any different than I'd look at the two of you guys. So, so no, I didn't go out of my way to talk to Kurt or hell. I didn't even know. All I know was the drummer was a badass. Yeah. I didn't know his name. They were just a band that came through, right? Right. Um, 
And, and so to answer your question, Steve, you know, no, I, I didn't get in any long conversations uh, with the band. You know, they played. Kurt was a bit whiny, and then they left. And uh, probably a, about a year later, they were playing places as big as the Cow Palace. Yeah. Right? Huge. I mean, boom, Amazing. just like that. So, yeah. Hey, I could tell you another fun story. Uh, is it, um, is it Guar? No, I'll get to Guar we'll get, in just a minute. Okay, we'll Guar get to Guar. was a pretty good story. Yeah. Uh, all right, only because I can't think of uh, the, the other band. Uh, what's the, uh, So let me hit this one while I can remember. What's the name of the band that, that oh, Rage Against the the okay, which I had tickets yeah. to. I had tickets to their reunion show tour before the, all this shit happened, and then the whole tour has been put on hold now, and probably won't happen, mm. right? So, yeah. So, my business partner, he was the extrovert. He used to come down at night and drink his beer. He would drink Budweiser out of a cup yeah. from the tap with a straw because he thought if it, if he drank with a straw, he'd get him higher quicker. But he'd come down and, and hang out with people and stuff like this. And he, he loved to showboat. And so we had a reunion. It was, I, I forget how many years we'd been open. But we had a, re, uh, uh, you know, it was December 8th, um, X number of years after we opened. And so my business partner, Mike, he booked Rage Against the Machine to play. They were the headliners. And he also invited all these beer vendors and stuff down. My mom and dad, my mom and my stepdad were there. My sister was there, you know. I, I and I don't remember who else, but a lot of friends and family were there for our, you know our anniversary. And good old Zach, the singer for yeah. Rage Against the Machine, right? They were trying to portray this anti-disestablishment and and you know, giant corporations are evil and stuff like this. And so when they went up to play. And they saw the the Carlsbad elephant outside, one of those inflatable things, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They started being he started being a complete asshole, right? Uh, he started talking okay. talking smack about the club. He started kicking our monitors over and stuff like that. I was so pissed off, my friends. I turned off the power to the stage. You did? Wow! No shit. In the middle of their set, while they were throwing this temper tantrum, as if like. We were this corporate conglomerate, corporate giant that was like polluting the waters, right? Yeah. I said, F this. I pulled the power. I had my biggest bouncers drag him by his ass out the front door, and I made their sound man take all of their shit out of the club and send them go, send them home. Right? Uh, so that was a memorable event. That's pretty right? badass, yeah. <laughs> that was a memorable event. Um, it's so crazy because that's not at all what the club stood for. Exactly. That's why I was so pissed, right? They were insulting the very soul of everything yeah. we did. Yeah. Right? And so we threw old Zach out, and about a year later, they got super big, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's Primus, right? Primus used to play all the time, and then one day their road manager came up to me, and he goes, hey, man, um, you know, I don't think you're paying us enough money, and if you're not going to start paying us more money, we're not going to play here anymore. And I'm like, sorry, bro. That's all we can afford. And so Primus didn't play anymore. And about a year later, they got super big. Not as big as Nirvana, right? Not as big as Rage Against the Machine, but Primus got pretty big. Yeah. And the stories go on and on and on, right? Yeah. And I know you asked about Guar. I did, yes. <laughs> and, and you've told me this story before, but uh, oh, but I'm going to yeah. hear it again. And Jens hasn't heard it, so... Uh. 
it's Guar. It. I, I want to hear about Guar, and then I've got a, I've got a, like probably the most important question to ask you yeah. um, about cactus after that. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I didn't know really who Guar was. Uh, my my business partner Mike, which they call him Biz Biz Trippin. Yeah. Um, he booked Guar, right? And, and Guar had. Um, a lot of needs, right? And it's interesting. Remind me to talk to you about what are they called? Writers, right? Yeah. Whenever, whenever a band plays in a place, it always comes with a writer. We need this. We need this. We need that, right? Like I think Van Halen only wanted brown M and M's or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we had that stuff too for some of the bigger acts, but Guar, Guar needed a personal um, dressing room. And we didn't have you one. You didn't have one backstage or anything? No. We didn't have one backstage. Our stage, our building was, was almost 100 years old, yeah. an old brick building. And there wasn't really much of a backstage, was there? No, there wasn't, a, wasn't really a backstage at all behind the stage because it was uh, the next building behind us. We did have some offices back on the other side of the club where people can go and hang out. But they needed something right next to the stage because of what I found out later was because of the theatrics. Right. And so we actually closed off the men's bathroom and then we had to let people into the bath, the women's bathroom one at a time to, to, to use it. And remind me to tell you about the, the bathrooms because the bathrooms at the Cactus Club that's, were leg, legendary. That's the end of next question, by the that's way. That's my next question. Ah, okay, so let's <laughs> back to Guar. So Guar needed all these things. Okay. And a lot of times, you know, as the owner of a club, it, it's more than just what you guys think. On any given night, I could be the bartender. I could be the bouncer. No, I'm a pretty small guy. I could be the janitor, right? Everything in between. You know, there was a night where I was a DJ and I did my own stuff, right? But, and this night, for some reason, I was up front helping cordon off this area so they could get from the stage to the men's bathroom for, for, for their outfit changes. And dude, I was blown away. Guar came out, the most theatrical band I've ever seen. Fake guns blood shooting everywhere it was savage yeah a lot of punk rockers showed up and this one kid couldn't keep his ass off the stage he kept stage diving and so my 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 business partner's brother calvin who, who was a bouncer at the time big six foot five big giant beastly of a guy he was up there with me and he threw this kid out this kid sneaks around back climbs up a telephone pole and we had some skylights that he broke into he breaks into the skylights and, like a dumbass, falls straight from the ceiling down onto the dance floor. And all the punk rockers sort of just moved, and bam, he hit the floor. He's bleeding. And so I says, hey, have somebody call 911. An ambulance shows up, and I go outside. Me and Calvin go outside to get the ambulance folks to bring him in. And because it was a show where there was a ton of theatrics and I was up front and I was wearing a white t-shirt, yeah. I was covered in blood, fake blood. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I go outside to get the, uh, the EMTs and the police are out there and they all just stop and all of their draws, jaws drop at the same time. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> no idea what's going on. 
and they think I'm the one injured, right? So here I am in the middle of a choir concert trying to explain to an EMT that what I got all over me is just theatrics as part of the show, and that the guy who eventually turned out to have just a broken leg was inside on the dance floor while a bunch of punk rockers danced around him, right? It's, it's brilliant. And that's, that's my memory of the, the, the choir concert. Two years later, we still found fake blood theatrics up in the ceiling, right? Up in the rafters and all our, all other places of, of the Cactus Club. Doesn't go away. Amazing. I, so. Yeah, I remember covering one of their shows once at uh, you know, a festival outdoors, and they had the cannons and everything. I mean, and I was taking pictures in the photo pit, right? And so you get into the photo pit, and they give you a poncho. You know, I've <laughs> never been given a poncho before when I go to a, when I cover a yeah. show, but it was pretty epic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's hilarious, man. I you just I can't imagine that all the different stories EMTs must have, right? Yeah, and, and every night it was a different show. I yeah. mean, there was a night where Eka Mouse played, and Eka Mouse is this band from from Jamaica. And I remember, uh, you know, it, it, I get this guy. This guy walks up and he goes, "Yeah, man, Eka wants to get paid." I'm like, before he goes on stage, I'm like, okay. I go, well, where's he at? He's out on the bus, because they had one of those big tour buses. Yeah. And so it's like something out of a Cheech and Chong movie. He takes me out to the bus, knocks on the door. The door opens up, and just all this smoke comes out, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like fog coming in on a, Classic on a, on a Cheech cold, and Chong. cold San Francisco night, right? <laughs> and Ika Mouse is super tall. And so there's a super tall guy with a, a joint in his mouth, smoke coming out from behind him and he's like yeah man I need to get paid and so I paid him his money I'm like hey hey, Eek you can't smoke in there it's against the law he goes nah man it's my religion uh, uh-huh. and, and that was that and Eek and Mouse came and he played and he smoked on stage and luckily we didn't get we didn't get in trouble okay. and, oh my god and, and it just goes on and on and on and on there was a band one of my favorite bands in the world Killing Joke uh-huh. If you remember them, um, 80s, I'm living in the 80s, da, 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 da. favorite band in the world, one of my absolute favorite bands. And so when we booked them, I was so stoked. And they were the biggest assholes in the world. Uh, they showed up late. I was so stressed out. They didn't even start their sound check until about 8 o'clock. Oh, wow. no. And so we had to hold the doors until about 10. Uh, cut the, the opening bands out to, to let uh, what was the name something George, George, Georgie or something like that the singer sure and and they had to have a barrier in front of the stage to keep people back and all these different requirements right yeah stuff that you didn't do for anybody else and yeah mm. something, something we didn't do for everything yeah. else and so what I hoped to be my favorite show was one of my most disappointing and then it just goes on and on from there we've had Every genre you can think of, we had. We had Social D play when Mike Nesmith just got out of prison. Wow. Right? And some of his prison uh, buddies who came to work as bouncers. Uh, it was one of the biggest pits we ever had. They were literally, as people tried to get up on stage, you had these big old uh, ex-cons picking people up and just throwing them. Oh, um, wow. We had wow. metal bands, right? Um, uh, one, one band played, uh, God, I can't think of their name, but... Um, Great band. Um, I'll try to think of it, but their their drummer, you know, speaking of great drummers, went on to play with Slayer. Right? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and it just goes on and on and on from there. But somebody wanted that. Speaking of but, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So somebody yeah. wanted to ask me about uh, El Baño. Well, what's your question? Yes, yeah. the, the toilets. I've been like dying to ask you about the uh, the, the most famous uh, toilets in the world. So you, there was a uh, one. I'm assuming one toilet for men, one toilet for women. Um, so the stage was to the right. See, it was almost, when we first opened, it was almost two different buildings, right? And there was a small door to go back and forth from the two different buildings. It was one building, but they made it into two. And so when we opened, we knew we wanted to open it up wide. And so we had to get this giant beam, you know, those metal support beams, and put up this structurally sound uh, support beam. And so the club was almost like two halves. This half was the stage, the dance floor, the DJ booth, the kitchen. And sort of to the left side was the bar. Uh, There's this old waterfall, which looked like a volcano, uh, which I got a picture of me and uh, 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 John Bonham's son, because John Bonham's son played there once uh, after posing with two two, uh, San Jose police officers. Uh-huh. But then there was uh, the two bathrooms. And so there was the men's bathroom, there was a sink, a stand-up urinal, and then, yes, a single toilet. And then on the women's bathroom, I think there was two two regular toilets. But, but here's the issue, right? <laughs> so when we had to transition it from a strip club to a nightclub, we still had the sewer system that had been put in there years and years and years ago. And so when the plumbing contractors came in, they were able to do a certain amount of work, but it was still old plumbing. I don't, I'm not a plumber, so I don't know the specifics. Sure. But our toilets were always backing up. Uh-huh. And they stunk, and people would go in there and have sex, and people would go in there. There was a lot of heavy metal... Here, so a lot of heavy metal bands played. Um, who was it? There was a band, um, I forget what they were called, Mother Love Bone. Um, and the lead singer OD'd and died. Um, but Mother Love Bone used to play there a lot. And some other metal bands, uh, pop metal, not hard metal. Um, and they were always finding their way to the bathroom and doing cocaine uh-huh. on the toilet seats. Right? Right. And that's how they become legendary, right? People would go there and puke in the bathrooms and just crazy stuff, you know. And so the bathrooms became legendary, right? Just because they were so awful. I can imagine that in order to be one of the greats in music, you have to have a story about what happened to you in the bathroom at the Cactus. Yeah, yeah, that's true, right? So I got a question for you. Have you ever seen the, the movie Train Spotting? No, I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. You've got to watch the movie Train Spotting. There's a scene in that in that movie where they declare that this certain pub has the most disgusting bathroom on the planet. Ah, nice. And it is absolutely filthy. I want you to watch this and just take in the visual and I'd love to know how the cactus compares to that. No, I will. I'll have to watch it. You know, it's funny. Um, there's a band, a guy named Beck. Yeah. Right? Yep. Beck. I was wondering if you're going to get to this. So, okay. Yeah. So Beck, Beck played there, uh-huh. right? And, and this is when um, um, a 
I'm a he he, he put out that song I'm a loser baby. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm a loser baby, so why don't so you just let you kill me? Kill me, yeah. Yeah. Um, dun, dun, so the dun, night dun. he played, Beck got pretty drunk, and Beck took it upon himself to go into our very disgusting bathrooms and to show the world how disgusting it was. He ripped the sink off of its hinges. Oh shit. And he proceeded to go up on stage and start his very first song while holding our sink. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you, and you didn't I shut. I love those stories. You, and, and you didn't shut that show down. No, not, not at all, man. Beck <laughs> loved us, and and, and I, I'm a huge Beck fan today. Um, you know, uh, I, I was a, a bit upset. I didn't see it, but I heard that. Uh, Jay-Z or somebody, uh, who was it, Kanye West, that came up on stage in the Grammys and uh-huh. took the mic away from Beck after he was rewarded a Grammy and said that, uh, what's her name, should have got a Grammy instead? You guys remember Taylor, that? Taylor, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Uh-huh. Was it, or, or was yeah. it um, Beyonce? It was Beyonce, yeah, I don't think that had to do with Beck. but <laughs> Yeah, I think it was yeah, Beyonce. It was Beck won a, a Grammy and, and Kanye West or somebody came up on stage and said that. Uh, uh, Beyonce was robbed and she should have won the, the Grammy. I'm like, are you kidding? That was Taylor Swift, dude. Was it? Was, it? it was, yeah. I don't know. He came yeah. up on stage and ripped it out of Taylor Swift's hand and was all about how his girlfriend or whatever Beyonce should have won it. Was, it was Con- okay. yeah, Kanye did it. It wasn't his... Kanye did you guys it. are all just messing up the story. Of, Fucking uh, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 20 years old or something at this point. Yeah, sure, nonetheless, but, like, yeah. I give many props to, to, to back, man. He is an yeah. amazing... See, that right there is the essence of everything we did, to have bands that, that just have a love for music, to come in here and, and express their their talent with the audience and just connect. Yeah. And that's what people did, right? That's what people did. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, so I do want to ask you as, as well about No Doubt. Um, you had Gwen, uh, Gwen in the building. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I used to be a big fan of No Doubt and Gwen and everything yeah. back before she was solo, obviously. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched some of those old videos from '95, and uh, I mean, it, she was doing Just a Girl and everything, and it's just—I mean, it's incredible to see that stuff before, you know, before before they go big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Sean, I mean, I'm so excited that you're here with us. You know, you're sharing your stories, and they're bringing back memories, you know, for me. I remember I was in college. This was um, up in Washington State near the Canadian border, and we had this Canadian artist come down. Nobody knew her. She played in our cafeteria. Her name was Sarah McLaughlin. Wow, look at that. And it was a fucking awesome show. I lost both my Birkenstocks somewhere in the market. (laughs) And I don't know why anybody would mosh to her, but (laughs) (laughs) this was was like the year she became an international superstar. Did you hear? So you just said Sarah McLaughlin, Birkenstocks. And a pit. And a mushroom, all in the yeah. same sentence. You're right. In the same sentence. Yeah. And I've, seen, I've seen... I love it. I've been there it. when Jens has lost articles of clothing at concerts, too, by the way. I do. This is nothing new. Last time Steve and I went to an outdoor show, I lost my fucking pants, dude. Uh-huh. Weird shit happens with me at concerts. The other thing, you know, that all these stories that you're bringing up remind me of is I was with my girlfriend at the time. 
Uh, this was also during my college years. Um, I was at this weird ass laundromat uh, in Seattle, and here I am at this laundromat, and somebody told me it was like a bar, and I'm like, "Where's the fucking bar?" And then it opens up into this other room that's a club, and there's this band playing. I'm like, "Oh, this is a really fucking awesome club!" And there's this really short motherfucker walking out of the bathroom towards me with these two tall girls, or maybe they were just regular normal-sized girls. I just remember him being short. She had blue hair, like, and the other girl on the other side of him had green hair, and I'm looking at him, and I was like, fucking, that's Eddie Vedder. Ah, yeah. That's Eddie fucking Vedder, and that was the year they released 10. Wow. You know, it was the Crocodile Cafe. You know, it's funny, (laughs) you can take that now and sort of go back in time, because uh, I think I mentioned it earlier about some of the metal bands that played, um, and one of them was Mother Love Boat. Hmm. So Mother Love Boat had come down, a lot of bands will, so the, the beauty is, bands will play, and on their way from San Francisco to L.A., San Jose was a nice stop on an off night, and so we would get a lot of great bands that came through to make some extra money as they moved between L.A. and, and San Jose. Yeah. But this band, Mother Love Bone, came, came up, and they were this metal band, but sort of like moody and stuff like that, and the lead singer ended up overdosing and dying. Mm. And so Mother Love Bone went and found a new lead singer, a guy named Eddie Vedder, and boom. Pearl Jam was born. Wow. Now you flash forward to where you were with the the girl with the green hair and the girl with the blue hair, and you see that evolution going from the early days of the Cactus Club as Mother Love Bone, guy accidentally overdoses on drugs, get a new singer, Eddie Vedder, comes out of the bathroom, chick with green hair, chick with blue hair, Mm -hmm. you get to see him, and then we all know where where Pearl Jam has gone from there. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh my you, God. You didn't let Sean finish telling me about Gwen, okay? So. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. All right, let's get back to Gwen. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't remember much. I I remember enjoying the heck out of No Doubt. Yeah. Such a good band. But but Gwen, she was probably eighteen, nineteen. Uh, she's just she's she reminded me a lot of Kurt Cobain, kind of full of herself, right? Yeah. I think she was the, the Gwen Stefani we know now, even back then. It's just she's on a bigger stage now, right? But, um, you know, uh, again, um, you know, it's just another night, which blurred to night after night after night after night, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And and so ultimately, kind of as we get toward the end of the story, I mean, unless you have any other tales you want to, you want to share with us, I mean, we, like the... The Cactus Club was going really strong, but there were some fighting forces against it. Um, you know, I mean, one being this, the city of San Jose, and the other being this um, this uh, uh, this guy named Yasek uh, uh, Roseki, the yeah, Polish or, guy. Yeah, old Yasek. So now it's interesting, right? Because we, we talked about the, the essence of, of the music, right? Because everything revolved around music. And, you know, there was this band, Heroic Airmen, that used to play, right? And the the singer for, or the guitar player for Heroic Airmen was the guitar player for Smash Mouth, right? Yeah, Greg Camp. Yeah, Greg Camp. And you could see, you know, Greg at one point, he was one of those guys who stayed being a musician. Yeah. And he played in this band that they did a bunch of covers, and he was so poor 
when Greg came down to the Cactus Club, I'd always let him in free. And I'd always sit at the back of the bar drinking with them and giving them some free drinks because he had that essence. He had that love for the music. And he was willing to be poor. And he's willing to play in a cover band to, to, to continue to connect with the, the music. It was funny because when I went off to become a photojournalist and I was working in Dubuque, Iowa, I happened to be working out one day and I heard this brand new band right in Iowa and it was Smash Mouth walking on the sun and I'm uh-huh. thinking, holy shit, if Smash Mouth is getting played in Iowa, how big must they become? And I was so yeah. happy for Greg. But back to the business side that you brought up, Steve, That's I can talk about some of it, but some of it is that sordid side that, that we'll have to save for, for another episode. Sure. But, but there was a lot of things, right? Going all the way back to what I talked about earlier, where redevelopment wanted us in this certain spot, and they wanted us to have a very specific type of liquor license. Um, they wanted us to be, we didn't necessarily go into this club saying, hey, we're going to be an all-ages nightclub. They wanted us to be more of an entertainment center where we serve food and this and that. And they wanted us to have a very specific type of, of liquor license, which was more for a restaurant where you can let people of all age in as long as you're serving food. And so I think we served a purpose early on for the redevelopment. But once they sort of moved on and San Jose started to grow and done their own things, now the other side came in. The cops, the vice, Ooh. right? The, the alcohol beverage control. And, you know, the, the reality is if a kid, if a teenager wants to get drunk, they will find a way. It has nothing yeah. to do with, with a liquor store, an establishment. They will find a way. You know, it's, it reminds me of that Jurassic Park movie uh, where uh, that one character says, oh, the, you know, well, we thought they were all females. Oh, you know, nature has its way, to, right, to reproduce. Yeah. Teenagers are going to get drunk. They're going to have sex. They're going to do that thing. That's just, that's evolution working. But um, then after a time, we started getting cracked on by the alcohol beverage control. You know, the fire marshal would come in, and, and they were just, they just started giving us a hard time. Yeah. Right? And... and to, to, to their sake, you know, the redevelopment uh, uh, you know, agency sort of talked about what they wanted there and stuff too. But So they, we were caught in the middle between push and shove, right? And, and so that was the hard part of the business, right? Um, appeasing uh, the powers that be. And I, and I will digress yeah. to this point, you know, it, getting into that sort of thing. They decided, the San Jose Police Department and the, the, the city of San Jose decided that we had to have security guards out front of the Cactus Club every time we're open. Oh, wow. And okay. you, you see that now done at a club like Ace of Spades. They got police yeah. officers out there. Oh. But we used to have to hire San Jose police or security guards. Now, security guards are much cheaper, but there's two things about that. The San Jose Police Department was like, oh, hell no, we're missing out on some good change, right? Because the San Jose police officers would love working at our club because they made like 25 bucks an hour for standing outside looking at hot-looking chicks every day, right? Yeah. Who wouldn't like that? Yeah, easy money. And if you hired a security guard, the police officers seemed to show up a bit more often. And at the time, back in the early 80s, San Jose was the skateboard capital of the world. All the professional skateboarders would hang out at the Cactus Club, right? 
Um, God, Stevie, uh, what's his name? Stevie. Yeah, who are these guys? Um, one of the most famous skateboarders out there. I only know Tony Hawk. I'm not much of a Tony, yeah. yeah, there's Tony yeah. Hawk. I, I met the wife of one of them. Oh my god! This was they? probably uh, this was probably when when Tony Hawk was about the you know it, you know a five year old like you, Steve, Stevie Caballero, <laughs> Reeps, Corey, uh, all the all the the, the 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 best skateboarders would hang out at the Cactus Club every night. Yeah. And they would get shit face drunk, and they would always start wrestling with each other. And I remember one night, you know, when we tried to use security guards, we had this goofy security guard, tall, lanky guy out front. And for some reason, he must have had a carry permit because he had a gun. And he had these big, giant glasses. And as usual, rapes, Corey, and some other skaters got drunk. They started wrestling with each other, and they stumbled outside and they were wrestling. And the security guard thought they were fighting. So he jumps up on them. They proceed to knock him over. His glasses fall off. And these are big, thick glasses. His glasses fall off. And what's he do? What does he do? What what does he do? He pulls out his gun. Oh, And I'm like, for fuck's sakes, man, put the gun away. There's just skateboarders having fun. This is the Cactus Club. And you're going to shoot somebody, and you can't even see what you're, you're looking at. And that was the last time we used security guards. Plus, the San Jose PD used to show up and give us a hard time. The minute we started using San Jose police officers, things got a lot easier. Now, there was this other guy. Uh, I think his name was Mike. I will refrain from using his last name. We'll call him Mike, yeah. His job was to, to, to do the booking for the police officers, right? And... You know, it's funny, there was a movie out with Robbie Benson once where he got this scholarship to play football or sports or something, and the college uh, the, the college coach says, you know, yeah, you know, I'm going to pay you to, to water the, the football field. And so he goes out there and he's like trying to figure out where the hose is, and all of a sudden the sprinklers go on because they're all automatic, right? You can see the scam there. Yeah. He's getting paid to water the lawn, but the lawns are on a motor, uh, a timer and they go off automatically this guy mike was a san jose police officer and his job was to book to ensure we had police officers on any given night and he charged us fifteen hundred dollars a month and usually he would send one of his cronies down to collect his money yeah right but the reality is we had all the same cops every friday and saturday because we became great friends Frankie Estrada was a, was a cop who was there to make extra money because all of his money as a police officer went to his ex-wife and his four kids. So he made all of his money working at their club. Steve Windish, who was a motorcycle cop, right? We became great friends. Uh, and there's some stories there, too, about how he used to pull me over just to, to fuck with me, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, if I don't stop at a stoplight or something and I, I do one of those Hollywood stop signs one day, I, I like all of a sudden this cop pulls me over and I'm shitting myself yeah. and he gets out with his partner and they're just laughing at me right Yeah. Um, but um, this guy collected 1500 bucks a month to do nothing right Yeah. and ABC wouldn't come down as much whenever we hired cops right and, and it's interesting because one day this guy comes up to me an internal affairs officer and he wants me to make a statement about this guy Right, and I'm like, no, man, I'm good. Not gonna do it. I'm yeah. good. No, right, because you know it's like the mafia. Sure. 
if I if I squeal on the guy, he's gonna whack me. Right. Right. Um, so there's that. That's that's the sordid side. That's the business side that was so ugly that took away the love of the, the core essence of the music. And then one of you asked me about Yasik. Yeah. Nice enough guy, super rich. I don't know if it was his money or his wife's money. I think it was his wife's money, real estate. He took that club that I talked about earlier, Marsugi's. Yeah. Uh, it was just a restaurant owned by the nicest family in the world that put on some shows at night. He bought them out and he made this nightclub there. The Edge Nightclub, yeah. Yeah, the Edge. And he knew nothing about nightclubs, but it was for his ego. You know how there's there's folks that have a lot of money, but they don't, you know, they, they need that their egos fed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he opened up this club and didn't know much about it. So when a band like the Beat Farmers and the Beat, um, the stories I could tell you about the Beat Farmers <laughs> and, and Country Dick, um, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. But what, what started happening was he would see the bands that we were booking, and if we were going to pay the Beat Farmers, you know, fifteen hundred dollars to play, he would he would pay them three thousand. Yeah, and so I remember the road manager Craig from the Beef Farmers. He's he says, "Hey man, we love you guys. We love your club. We've had a lot of good times." Yeah, but when this guy's offering us three thousand dollars to your fifteen hundred dollars, come on! And I said, "Hey man, Craig, I get it." And so what he did is he started booking bands that that we booked and just paid tw- twice the mon- as much money. And so it really put a lot of pressure. That was about the same time where I left to go back to school and become a, uh, a journalist. Yeah. Um, I think the most creative part of the Cactus Club was building it and, and opening it and seeing seeing just the magic happen. Yeah, what, what it was able to do for San Jose and, you know, yeah. I mean, really just the market was able to make on the music business as well. And obviously yep. a big part of who you are, you know. But after a while, right, our, our Thursday nights, which was a, a disco night, it started with a bunch of people that would show up in polyester. Yeah. And it was so cool. And at the end of the night, we would give away the disco ball to the best dress. Then all the cool people would, would hang out there. Once that caught on, like wildfire, the college kids would say, hey, the Cactus Club Thursday night, that's the place to be. And so all the college kids would come down, including all the good-looking girls, right? Yeah. Then you get a line around the block. And then the third part of that was the gangsters. Mm. And then when the gangsters saw that the good-looking girls were there, and by this time all those super cool people that started it, they're like, no, we're going on to something new and cool. Yeah. They left. So you had all these uh, good-looking, good-looking people hanging out there. Then the gangsters would show up, and they wouldn't even pay to come in. They would hang out outside till two in the morning, and then you know fights would break out, and it got super stressful. And so, when it lost its creative soul, is when I went off to, to go back to college. Um, but now, and I'm sorry, I'm all over the board. But if we drive back to Yasik, so that was about the same time I was uh, had a little less influence on the club, and my my, my partner uh, Mike was doing most of the work. And there's a, a, another whole story there, which we'll save for another day, but. Yasik and his ego, he saw that people still came to the Cactus Club and it just drove him crazy. Yeah. And so once I left and I was working as a photojournalist in, uh, in Dubuque, Iowa, what I heard is Yasik then bought the building that, that we were in and it was owned by these two 90 year old ladies, right? And so they sold it to Yasik and the very first thing he did, he said, well, if I can't 
beat him this way. I'm going to beat him the other way. And so he bought the building and instantly doubled or tripled the cost for rent, right, for the lease. Making it so they couldn't keep the doors open even if they wanted to, right? And so, yeah, they eventually couldn't keep the doors open. Some other things happened that we'll talk about some other time. Uh, maybe off the record for now until I decide to do that VH1, the, the, the behind-the-scenes story of the, the Cactus Club. Um, he sort of just put the lights out for the Cactus Club, uh, and that was it. Um, you know, yeah. I think I was living, I, I think, where was I? I remember I was out of state, right, and I had to fly back in, uh, you know, when they closed the doors. But, um, man, it was like somebody stealing your soul. And this was Yasek being Yasek. It wasn't like he was somehow encouraged or funded or something by the city because they wanted the Cactus Club out too, right? In the beginning, they supported it, and then at the end, they wanted it out. Yeah, it's interesting. They needed us to help redevelop the city, but when the city finally found itself and Silicon Valley started coming in, now you had a bunch of rich people, so they wanted more glamorous stuff to really entice the rich people. They didn't want a bunch of uh, punk rockers and skinheads and, and alternative right. people coming in anymore. Now, it's it sort of, we did their dirty work for them, and then they came to a point where instead of rewarding us, they kicked us to the curb and said, hey, we don't need you guys anymore. San Jose is now a booming metropolis because of Silicon Valley money. And that combined with, with, with you know, what Yasek did sort of, you know, killed off the Cactus Club. That's when the music stopped. And and to your question, I, I don't know. Um, I always had a good relationship with Yasek. He used to uh, invite me over and talk to me because he wanted me to help sort of make that transition and get rid of the, the Cactus Club, um, which was interesting. But um, I, I don't know if, if there was something, uh, if, if he was in bed with the city or... I think mm-hmm. it was his ego. Yeah. I think most things in life happen from greed and ego, right? And they seem to go hand in hand. I mean, look at everything that goes on now in the whole women's movement with what people like Harvey Weinstein and stuff did. Um, it's all ego-driven and money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so the innocence of the Cactus Club, the, the love for the music, going back to where a lawyer could be sitting next to a punk rocker and they can talk, Right, mm-hmm. we had hip hop nights. Uh, you know, every genre, every 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 race, every nationality. When you walked into the Cactus Club, everybody had a common love for the music, and I think that right there is is the one thing that that sits with me. You know, uh, until I'm no longer on uh, on this planet, that we did. We gave people a, a place to go for innocence to shine and music to be seen by by everyone right and that's the beauty and i wish we i wish somebody would do that again yeah Yeah, and i really wish the and i'm sure so many people would have just wished that the city could have been flexible and they could have seen that and allowed it yeah you know it's interesting because um you know i still have a love for music and i live in sacramento california or the greater sacramento area and so on nights when i don't you know here i am as a father right in fact my my daughter facetimed me right before you guys called and I said hey I gotta go I'm gonna do this podcast with these guys dad what's a podcast oh they want to talk about that the club I used to own 
Oh, she's nine. Okay, Dad, I'll let you go. I'll see you in the morning. Right, but when I'm I'm not with the kids, I'll still sneak down to either Harlow's, yeah, uh, which is a club in Sacramento, <laughs> yeah. or Ace of Spades. Harlow's I really like because it reminds me a little bit about the Cactus Club. It's interesting. The day Donald Trump was voted into office on a Tuesday, yeah, I decided to say screw it, and after work I went to the Harlow's to see Agent Orange, right, one of my favorite bands, yeah, and for, forget about everything. And for just a couple hours, I almost felt like I was back in the Cactus Club. Wow. The music was playing. You had a bunch of punk rockers there. You know what's funny, though? The, the only difference was it could have been Agent Orange 20-plus years ago at the Cactus Club, but it was Agent Orange at Harlow's. Agent Orange rocked. There was a bunch of punk rockers slam dancing and drinking. The only difference was at Harlow's, they were all doing selfies of everything they did they? with their iPhones. Oh, and I just laughed. I'm like, thank <laughs> God they didn't have iPhones back when we had the Cactus Club. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? Oh, man. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. The, the trouble we would have got in. But all Holy these guys shit. are dance, slam dancing and, 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 and sort of doing the, you know, have their iPhones in reverse so they can sh- you know, shoot themselves, sure. and then they all go to the back and they get a bunch of beers and they're chugging beers and they're they're like doing selfies the whole time. And I thought it's almost the same, except insert the iPhone and the social media and the selfies. And I just laughed. But um, yeah. you know, so there are still a couple good clubs out there. Is is the Boardwalk still around in uh, Sacramento? I mean, I, I know nothing's happening now, but <laughs> but uh, out in Orangeville. Yeah, so the board, it's interesting, right? That's, that's a great topic. The boardwalk is still there, I think. And it's interesting because at one point when I was still married, I, I lived, uh, we lived in Folsom. Yeah. And I saw it just by happenstance. And it was during the day. And when I saw it, I said, wow, that's cool. And so I pulled over and I walked in in the middle of the day. And there were some people uh, prepping a bar and stuff like that. And I said, and it sort of reminded me of the Cactus Club. I was, and that's I how I envisioned the, the Cactus there. Club, yeah. Yeah, I talked to the lady there. I said, hey. I says, I used to own a club, and I just happened to look in. I said, your club reminds me of my club. And she, you know what she says to me? What'd she say? She says, oh, really? You used to have a nightclub? Do you want to start booking bands for us? <laughs> <laughs> they, they needed a booker. Yes. <laughs> and I said, I said, hey, you know what? I'm flattered. But I have a full-time job, I have a wife, and I have three kids. Um, and, and I'm not as young as I used to be. I'll leave with this. The nightclub, running a nightclub, living that lifestyle is a young man's game, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I think uh, you asked me earlier, you know, did you grab a beverage? Because I know you guys are drinking some beer. Um, I don't drink anymore, mainly because I have my kids, but... I drank so much when I was young, when I had the Cactus Club. Think of having a love for donuts and owning a donut shop. I wouldn't be able to do it. I just said. <laughs> I, had a, I had an affinity yeah. for sweet drinks. Yeah. Long Islands, Singapore yeah. Slings, um, yeah. Malibu and Coke, uh, mm, gin, gin, gin and juice, all that stuff. Um, yeah. and, and there was a point, right, where I thought to myself, am I an alcoholic? Yeah. Um, and my business partner was, mm. but I realized I wasn't. And when I went back to school, I sort of just stopped for the most part. 
can't drink like I used to. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's sad, but yeah. one of my favorite doormans, Vince, just a kid, right? Nicest kid in the world. His brother was a San Jose police officer. Nicest kid in the world. And I found out years later that he died of cirrhosis of the liver because he couldn't stop uh, drinking. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there, there's all these side stories that, that weave on to the, 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 the club and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, we can go on for hours and hours. Yeah, but like, we, can so, yeah we can go on forever. We, we can save I, I, it for another night. Here, Sean, I thought you were going to say you declined the offer from this nice lady because the bathrooms were just not up to your standards. <laughs> they were just too clean, too yeah. pristine. They had plumbing that worked. Yeah, that's funny. It just wasn't the same atmosphere. Uh, no, I didn't get to get into the bathrooms. We talked for about 15 minutes, and then I left. I would love to go there. As a matter of fact, I think I've... No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I've been there once. Uh, and it was within the last couple couple years. Yeah. Um, and they're just. I, I would love to. Go, you know what they do need? They need somebody like me or my my old business partner to book some cool bands, because I keep an eye on them, and, yeah. and I've yet to see a band that's going to pull me there. At, I used uh, to cover a lot of shows there back in the day, and they they had really? some. Yeah, they had some good bands that that rolled through back in the day. I mean, it it. Uh, that one that's one of those venues like a, a bottom of the hill or something that, that to me feels like the cactus club you know was you know for you mm-hmm. so it's yeah i mean that that was the the one in sacramento 15 years ago that uh you know bands would roll through like um i mean fun played there before they were fun right uh wow. for example you know i mean just to name one that, that i remember seeing there uh offhand and uh, I mean, but I went to a bunch of shows there back in the day. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The last show I've seen locally is um, at Ace of Spades. X. So there are certain bands that when they come through, you're like, yeah. I got to go see them. Yeah. And X was one of them. X was one of my favorite bands in the world too, right? Mm. Um, and it was interesting seeing X now because uh, John Doe, uh, no, John Doe rocked it, um, uh, the guitar player, Billy Zoom. Yeah. He's so old, he had to sit down the whole show. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh. oh, and I'm like, but still, they rock. They sent, you know, I, I was listening to X as a 50-something-year-old person at Ace of Spades. Billy Zoom's so old, he had to sit down to play. Uh-huh. Yet for the oh, moment, God. for the moment, the essence and purity of the music came back. And, and, and it reminded me of why we did what we did and why I hope other people... Do what they do. It's not about Mercedes Benzes and you know. And I love hip hop music, but but a lot of what they sing about is about money. Yeah, it's not about money. It's the essence of music that moves somebody, and there's no price you can put on that. You right. know, when, when something moves you, and somebody creates something so good that it moves you, that's the true essence of music. It has nothing to do with money. And so I hope one day we come full circle. To give bands, because guys, there's so many bands that played at the Cactus Club that nobody has ever heard of. Yeah. But they were great bands. They didn't get lucky enough like like Nirvana. Nirvana tripped over and fell into David Geffen Records, who had this huge marketing campaign that allowed them to blow up. There was a million bands as talented as Nirvana that nobody has ever heard of. Mm. Right? Because they didn't have that luck. That ability to to, to, to to really make something because for the most part 
your nirvanas are the one percent of all musicians just like book writers just like painters just like poets most of them are living in a studio and apartment somewhere working a, a day job to support their habit of creativity at night right and that was the beauty all these bands came to the cactus club and they could play on a great stage with a great sound system with cool lights and people would come and see these new bands for the first time and hear some killer music right so i hope somebody does that again um you know because i think the world needs it oh we need music now more than ever right i mean we need to get that live music back and uh (laughs) and get back out there so yep well well, sean Sean, you're gonna have to inspire the next generation we're gonna put it on your shoulders you're gonna have to inspire the next generation to continue the tradition yeah thanks well, Sean, yeah, we want to want to thank you for taking the time, and we yeah, we could definitely do a second one, but really, I mean, you have so many stories, you should write a book, man. So, <laughs> it, it's interesting. One gig. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, Steve. Um, I've had a pretty rough rough life. Um, you know, my father died when I was five years old, mm. and one of the reasons that I I got into music was to soothe the soul. And really, when, when I was doing it, when I was knee-deep in it, I never thought I'd live to be 35 because my dad died when I was 35. Yeah. And so when I was a musician and went into that nightclub, we did so with reckless abandon. We did every, every sort of thing you could think of because it was the 80s and 90s and we didn't think we were going to live. I, I never thought I would have a wife or kids or any of that thing. But I, I've been working and I haven't had much time to put into it on a book that sort of revolves around this homeless guy uh, and all the things that happened to this homeless guy. And during this, he's thinking back to how he became homeless. And so it's me. uh, Remember when we went to Austin for the first summit? Yeah. I was on the plane writing about a very personal part to that, and I was crying. And I never cry. I probably cried five times in my whole life. And I remember writing one part of this book I've been working on and I turned around and looked at some girl, and she's just looking at me like, why is this guy crying on, a, on an airplane? Yeah. But at one part, I write about the Cactus Club. Uh, and if the book, if I ever finish the book, I'll be sure to let you read a copy. Oh, definitely. I'd because love uh, some of the things that happened in that back office uh, come out in this book, um, and you'll just laugh, right? You'll yeah. just, or, or maybe if we talk again off, off, off air. Uh, you know, I'll tell you more about it, you guys, but, um, you know, the things that went on, um, I don't know if it was the, the air, it was the eighties and nineties or if what went on, but it was, um, it was interesting. So I'll leave you with that. Well, so many great stories and yeah, thanks for taking the the time, Sean. I love, uh, love hearing about it and love, I mean, obviously music's such a big part of uh, my life and uh, live music at that as well. And so you know, knowing someone and being, uh, you know, and having a friend that's a, that was really a part of the music industry like you, I mean, that's, that's the coolest thing in the world to me, you know, I mean, like, it's, you know, again, like we could pick your brain for hours and, uh, and just barely scratch the surface. So and I love what you guys are doing, man, talking about, you know, just talking about music. Uh, it's already 830. Yeah. And I've enjoyed every minute of talking to you guys, because if you weren't five years old, Steve, uh-huh. if you were a little bit older, right, you would be the guy at the bar sitting next to the guy in a suit, next to the guy in the mohawk, uh-huh. wearing, right. whatever, wearing whatever you wore as an 18-year-old kid. 
and, and both of you guys, and you guys would have been loving it, right? So, yeah, exactly. I appreciate what you guys yeah. are doing, man. You guys are keeping it going too. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. I mean, this just yeah. pulls on the heartstrings, brings back so many memories. And I am envious. I'm jealous. I wish I had part of that life that you had at that time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, you guys, you guys got it going on. Doing the podcast, uh, it's pretty cool. I'll have to start listening too because I think that will help me keep close to the music. So thank you guys too, man. Keep keep doing it as long as we can get bands. Uh, so <laughs> it's yeah. a different time right Thanks, now. Man. Yeah. Uh, continue drumming. Yep. yep. So uh, we'll wind us out. So thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, so for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>